I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and we'll go into detail about the topics we discuss. So if you haven't read, listened to, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Somewhere in time this week, the mind behind the JSA goes MIA, Logan and Arnold are back in our hearts, and the soul of the Marvel Universe is back, but is it too late already? Plus, we explain how urban legends get started. Here's a hint, it involves Matthew talking out his hat. <laughs> we learn how bad puns get started. Here's another hint, it involves Steven and a peanut. <laughs> and we learn how short deadlines cause the podcast open to not make any sense. Here's a hint, I have no idea what Rodrigo's going to do today. <laughs> but remember to keep your seatbelts buckled, return the stewardess to her original upright position, keep your head and arms inside the mixer at all times, which is a lesson that Bill Jr. should have learned before they found his head over by the snow cone concession, because the Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Welcome, welcome everybody to another exciting, fun-filled, we got a lot in store for this episode. Indeed. Rodrigo is joining us from the nether region. <laughs> the nether world. <laughs> well, it could be the nether region. Isn't Russell kind of the ass end of uh, of Kansas? hey uh, <laughs> I think it's it's right in the center. It's basically, I'm, I'm in the belly button the fuzzy of navel. All right. Sort of the uh, arms of America. As, uh, as the weather gets worse and Rodrigo has some other production duties, we may be doing some more of these. Because, you know, his little Yaris probably can't drive in the snow that well. No. <laughs> Just have it transform and use its rocket boots. Yaris. All right. It's so got, it's targeting its targeting systems go offline when it snows. <laughs> so uh, a couple of uh, interesting tidbits popping up up and around the MajorSpoilers.com website this past week. Probably the one that I'm kind of most excited about, and one that I probably shouldn't be so excited about. Because I hate it when when a writer loses a job or or an artist uh, doesn't get to work anymore. But I'm glad that DC finally is canceling that Simon Dark series. Did either of you guys read that? Nope. Let me just tell you. Set in the Batman universe, set in Gotham City, mixed with The Crow. How does that strike you? Wow. Well, it's, it's kind of redundant, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's enough Batman in The Crow. My uh, My rumination on the whole thing is that it's ironic that... They canceled it right after it got its own section in the back issues because I was tired of miscellaneous S being too big. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it was – I read like two or three issues and I was fed up with it. It was not very good. And it had poorer circulation than Blue Beetle, yet Blue Beetle gets canceled first. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Wasn't that written by the 30 Days of Night guy? I don't know, and I don't care. I'm glad I it's gone. I think it was Steve Niles, the guy from 30 Days of Night. This was like his first big two work, if I'm not ah, mistaken. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, Steve Niles, uh, but I did not care for Simon Dark, and I'm glad that it's gone. It is what it is. Hey, uh, what about Jeff Johns leaving JSA after issue number 26? I've got to say I'm leery. Why? Because when Jeff Johns leaves a series... It generally means that you're going to get either somebody doing an impersonation of Jeff Johns or somebody doing the opposite of Jeff Johns. Mm -hmm. What's he got? Like 40 active members of the JSA right now? There's a whole heck of a lot of them going on. I just know that we're going to get a new writer who wants to pare it down to like a core team of six. Is that so bad? None of them will be my favorites. But none of them will be my favorites. 
Well, who are I your favorites? See, who are your favorites? I want to see more more Amazing Man. I want to see more Citizen Steel. I want to see Jay Garrick. I want to see Cyclone and the Star Spangled Kid. You know, I want to see Liberty Bell. I want to see Our Man. You know, some of these guys I could care less about, but I'm afraid that the ones that I like are going to be the ones that are considered, you know, more off the beaten path, or even worse, are going to disappear into limbo and show up 15 years from now only to die in a crossover written by Keith Giffen. I, you know, honestly, after what's been going on with this huge story with um, Thy Kingdom Come, whatever it is that's going on now, mm-hmm. I'm kind of ready for him to maybe move on a little bit and go explore some other stories. Hmm. I, you know, apparently JSA is a, is a top title for DC right now, one of their top titles. So I doubt they're going to just throw some schmo on board. Mm-hmm. To take it over, who's probably you know who's going to screw it up? I have a I have a feeling that there's still some kind of a Bible planned out uh, for for past issue twenty six. But that you being know, said, I'd like to see on that series. Who would you like to see? Kurt Busick. Ooh, you know he's doing an awesome job on Trinity. I think. Yeah. And he's bringing in a whole bunch of characters that I didn't expect to show up in that series. He could probably tell a really good JSA story. Mm-hmm. And I think Busick has, you know, a, a point of view that would be, even on a mainstream book, you know, he's he's not he's not writing Marvels every month. Yeah. But you know, in a, even in a mainstream book, he goes for a different angle and he goes for things that are a little more personal to the characters. And I think that would be very fitting for JSA. I like, I like that idea. Pay attention, DC. I, I think there's at least one or two of you uh, from DC that are listening to this podcast because you want to hear how I'm going to bash you next. Matthew has spoken. Matthew has spoken. Keep those characters in that he likes and get Kurt Busick to start writing after issue 26. And I am probably going to put some underwear on Cyclone, please. <laughs> yeah, She's stop getting Alex Ross to do all the covers. I am probably going to read. I'm going to try out the two or three issues after he leaves to see how it's going. But if it doesn't strike my fancy, I, that's probably a title I'm going to drop. Yep. All right. Rodrigo, any thoughts? Um, haven't been reading it. Okay. Uh, you know, Jeff Johns oh, is doing so sir. much. I mean, he All seems right. to be writing almost every book in the DC universe right now. For a while he was, it seemed like. I know. So that's why maybe it is time for him to give up something that he enjoys to focus on something maybe more important like Blackest Night, which is coming up just around the corner. Mm, I don't know about the term more important, but I can definitely see the point. A couple of trailers were released this past week. Uh, Wolverine and Terminator Salvation. Rodrigo, go. Um, Wolverine looks good. I'm actually must be one of the handful of people who actually likes uh, what's it? Wait, what's his name? Brian Reynolds. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he's actually funny. He's like a Dane Cook who's a little bit more palatable. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you mention Dane Cook, Matthew is more pal- palatable than than Dane Cook. <laughs> I resemble that remark. How dare you, No, I sir? didn't say palate. I said palatable. Uh, uh, fat joke. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, I, I, res- I haven't heard that, that since too. the fourth grade. Ah, there we go. We love you, I, Matthew. Reynolds is awesome. And one of the movies that, that'll prove that he's awesome, if you never watch it but more than once, if you watch National Lampoon's Van Wilder. Oh, yeah. There's there's some remarkable subtlety and depth in his portrayal of his character. Yeah. 
which I think is, you know, it, it's really weird for basically a, you know, a, a kid's booby movie. He's got some emotional depth to him. I'd like to see him as Deadpool. I think he could really pull it off. I, I just looked at that trailer and I thought, ooh, cool. And I'm not a Marvel guy, but, you know, this trailer, I'll go see it just because it looks good. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm actually really hoping that this will kind of re- like reset a little bit. And I, and I don't mean even mean continuity-wise. I kind of mean economically, like, reset the X-Men franchise. Because after X3, I think people were like, yeah, no more X-Men, please. Yeah. And I think maybe that's what they're trying to do with this series of origin stories. Uh, there is going to be an X-Men Origins Magneto. But the Fox Studio, the ones that currently hold the rights to the X-Men uh, characters for movie rights, uh, are holding back on the start of production for that until they see how Wolverine does, which I think it's going to do gangbusters. I mean, it's got a Hugh Jackman, who they just named one of the sexiest men in the world. The guy's hosting the Oscars, for God's sake. Of course, people are going to flock to see this movie. You were talking about uh, earlier, Matthew, about 13-year-old girls. Uh, that's who's going to go see this movie. Possibly. The you other... Say, Go ahead. Hugh Jackman. It ain't just a name. <laughs> he really does have a huge Jackman. <laughs> I think you broke up right there, but I think we get the, uh, we get the hint. The other big movie trailer that was released this week was Terminator Salvation with uh, Christian Bale playing John Connor. Thoughts mm. on that one, Matthew? Where, where, where does, what, huh? When does this take place? Well, it takes place in the future. And it takes okay. place prior to uh, Reese being sent back in time. Because at the very beginning of the trailer, he stumbles upon some kid and he says, what year is it? What's going on? That's, uh, that's the guy who will be Reese. That will be the guy that will be his father. Nice. That he doesn't but know that will be his father. I thought Skynet went nuts in like 2004 or something. Well, it did, but I think they're kind of... Um, and that may be part of the question because uh, John Connor, Christian Bale, stumbles around at the beginning going, what's going on? Something's not right. What year is it? And they say it's 2018. Hmm. And uh, for some reason, it tells me that the timeline has skewed and maybe things aren't what they seem. Maybe the screenwriters forgot to actually look at the old movies before they wrote it. Well, I have a problem with that, too, as, as some of you will hear in my uh, review of Buckaroo Banzai. But the trailer has just been released, and the producers are already confirming that there are three other movies going to be produced in, uh, for The Terminator, the next one coming out in 2011. Wow. Hmm. Too, many, too a, much Terminator? Too little Terminator? A, Do you care about Terminator? I that's that's a lot of uh, them putting their eggs in one basket type deal, it seems to me. Indeed. Well, it, it worked for, you know, the uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and it worked, you yeah. know. I, I think committing to three movies at a time now is going to be somebody's idea of a viable business model. Shoot them all back to back, or, you know, put them all together back to back. Yeah. Avoid whatever continuity and, and rehiring nightmares. Hire everybody for three movies. So if the first one tanks, you know, it, fine. If the first one does awesome, you don't have to rehire them at three times the going rate. Here, here's Stick my them in concern. New Zealand, make them get tattoos, whatever it is you do. Here, here's my concern. Christian Bale plays John Connor. He's now confirmed 
for three movies for the Terminator movie. And it looks like the next one will come out in 2011. The next one will probably come out in 2013 if they don't film the next two back-to-back. But he's going to be tied up for quite a while, it sounds like. When's he going to have time to play Batman? Mm-hmm. Maybe they just have to say, hey, you get to hang out with Rachel Weisz. Okay. (laughs) I I think that rumor is still a rumor. Uh, The the rumor, the big new rumor is Rachel Weiss will be playing Catwoman in the Batman 3. And we've already talked about about how crazy these rumors are because Christopher Nolan has just gone on record as saying he's starting to think about what's going to appear in the next movie. And yet, apparently, Hollywood has already cast either uh, Cher, Rachel Weiss, or somebody else to play Catwoman. It makes no sense. I'm not believing these rumors. But... She's a very attractive woman. If you want to see some pictures of her, head over to Majorspoilers.com. Um, last week on the show, Matthew made a reference uh, that he thought Big Trouble in Little China, the most awesome movie uh, starring uh, Kurt Russell, was actually the... What, what was it going to be? The prequel? The sequel? The... The final product that came out of the pre the sequel to Buckaroo Banzai Adventures Across the Eighth Dimension. Right. You were almost right about that, Matthew. You had mentioned you thought you were right. You were very close to being right. And here's probably why you thought uh, that way. Uh, and I, I'm not bringing this out to just say, ha-ha, Matthew, you were wrong. I'm bringing this out because you mentioned it, and I'm such a fan of both Buckaroo Banzai and Big Trouble in Little China that I had to track down the information myself because I found it so fascinating. And I, I thought for sure that John from Double Dumbass on You would have commented on this, or at least one of our other listeners would have commented on this. Uh, but it turns out that Big Trouble in Little China was originally envisioned as a Western set in the 1880s. Nice. Now, could you imagine this this uh, Big Trouble in Little China taking place? I mean, the title itself sounds like something you would hear in a Western, or at least a very pulpy Western. Uh, but they thought at this time that a, that a period piece would not do very well. And did, did so they Big brought... Trouble in Little China actually do well? No, it didn't. It was, it was a flop, but I mean, it's gained such huge... Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, success afterwards. So what they did, Matthew, is they brought in W.D. Richter. Now, who is W.D. Richter? The creator of Buckaroo Banzai. He is the one who created Buckaroo Banzai, and they asked him to come in and do a rewrite of this script, and he threw out pretty much everything uh, except for the, th- the kind of idea, and he's the one that said, well, let's set this in modern times. Uh, Keith Barish um, was the producer, the co-producer, and he felt that the Wild West wasn't really something that would work, and so he modernized everything. Uh, everything in the original script was tossed out except for the low pan story. So while there may be some hints at some Buckaroo Banzai-ishness, it's not a Buckaroo Banzai story, but it was written or rewritten by the guy who did Buckaroo Banzai. Neat! The more you know. Remember, remember, knowing is half the battle. Yes, it is. Go so I just down. thought that was I just thought that was fascinating to go in and, and, and read that, and it kind of puts a crimp in my uh, kung fu zombie western movie because it's kind of got some of the same themes as mm, Big well, Trouble in Little know. China in the Old West, but with zombies. And of course, everybody says zombies rule. So there you go. So wait, a movie that you haven't made is spoiled by a movie that never got made in the way that was actually written? 
Exactly. Go figure. Welcome to Steven World, everybody. <laughs> Dog well, I just don't man want... and good news here. I, I'm trying to make uh, you know some good original content and drama, and I don't Steven, want people I'm to say. Steven, I'm very happy not see you. Why am World Square? Me, I'm keep talking, Matthew. Me, I'm love when you keep talking on and on. <laughs> <laughs> you am not interrupting me all time, Steven. You are oh. very respectful of my inability to not make point. <laughs> Me and love that Matthew always have point. All right. All right, Bizarros. Don't make me separate you two. Oh, yeah. We're already pretty far away from one another. Uh, what should we get to next, Matthew? I know. Nah, we won't do that. How about some reviews? <laughs> all right. You want to start us off this week? Sure. I'll hit the streets first. Hi there. My name's Matthew, and I read comics. Hi, Hi Matthew. Matthew. Thank you. This time around, I'm actually going back to uh, kind of familiar ground for me. And uh, to, to put it in perspective, there was a time when I was very dissatisfied with virtually everything that was coming out of the House of Ideas. I was not happy with much of anything from Marvel. And the series that really changed that and brought me back into Marvel's core character specifically was a series, and I can't remember if it was 96, 94... In the mid-90s, where everything was Deathstrike, Blood Force, and his friend with claws. Um, Marvels by Kurt Busiek and uh, featuring art by Alex Ross. I love that series. I did, too. One of the great things about it was that you had a civilian's eye perspective of the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. And when Marvels ended, there was always talk of a sequel, Marvels 2, Electric Boogaloo. Didn't they do something like that, though? I could have sworn... Yes and no. What was that follow-up? There were a couple of follow-ups. There was um, there was something by Warren Ellis called Ruins, and there was there was a whole run of comics that were in that Marvel's vein. Where oh, okay. They did the Wonder Years, which was a Wonder Man story. They did Tales to Astonish, and they all had that format and the realistic art, but never really captured the magic of what was really going on. And bits and pieces of what would become originally that story supposedly for Marvels 2, Kurt Busiek took with him and may have partially translocated into Astro City. Ah, uh, okay. All right. But he has come back to Marvel, and Kurt Busiek has just this last, I think it was this week. Maybe it was the week before, I don't know. I go to the store like once a month now. That's not true. I go to there every week. <laughs> every Sunday. I'm just stupid. That's uh, but, the uh, Gatekeeper Marvel Comics released... and Hobbies. Gatekeeper Hobbies, uh, Huntoon and Gage, Topeka, ask us about whatever the hell it was we bought last weekend. Waha. Ask us about our Simon Dark bash. bash- <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they got their own category now. Yes, it's, it's under <laughs> S for Simon. Because we were all out of room under N for knockoff. Um See what I did there? That was funny. Um, Marvel's Eye of the Camera, number one of the six-issue series, came out. Now, they don't have Alex Ross, but they brought in, I believe it's, his name is Anacleto, J. Anacleto, who most people would probably only know for his work for Image on Aria. Uh, no, And sorry. he has, no? I don't Look it know. up. It's not a bad book. It's, it's one of those, you know, it was, it was one of those Image girl books where the female character looked awesome and then you get to the interiors and it would be completely different. But Jay has a very, very photorealistic style to the yeah, point where it's almost uh, too realistic. I was going to say, don't do a search for Aria on the web or you're going to get a whole lot of naked boobies. Hey, thank you, Drive Through. I might search for Aria and the name Anacleto. 
Unless that's some sort of French term for a perverse sexual position that I don't want to know about. Right. But Marvel's Eye of the Camera number one starts with Phil Shelton, who was the protagonist of the first Marvel series. It takes place, apparently, in a nebulous reason, region that I'm going to call the 60-somethings. Right about the time of the birth of the Marvel Universe proper, the current Marvel Universe, which I believe in Marvel terms is 15 years ago. Okay. But it still has enough elements to where it's actually partially tied in time to 1961-62, the point where the actual Marvel Universe stories take place. And it starts with Phil Sheldon at home with his family. You know, he's still a photographer at the Daily Bugle. He's, you know, he's reaching middle age. He's having trouble finding work. He's, you know, thinking about changing jobs. He's got no business being a freelance, uh, a freelance photographer anymore. He feels like he's slowed down. But Throughout the issue, we see these little references to the living Colossus and the references to Gorgilla, the things that were happening in the Marvel monster comics of the 50s right before the Marvel Universe hit big, which, you know, if you're me, are really awesome bits that only Kurt Busiek and Mark Wade and I go, hey, that's... Never mind. But uh, throughout the issue, he decides that he's going to try and get a cushy job. So he goes to the New York, I think it's the Bulletin, and they offer him a job. And they're like, the stuff that you take, you make all, make the pictures almost look real. Yeah. And they, they, they basically, they're kind of a New York Post National Enquirer, and they're offering him a job doctoring photographs. The oh. first one they want is a big, huge thing about mutants. Are they the next step? And are, are the mutants coming to take us? Hmm. And he's, you know, he has to think about this. Being an older man, does he take this cushy job that, that has no soul and no substance, or does he take the chance of not being able to support his family? But before he can make the decision, there are reports of monsters in the streets of New York and a young scientist named Richard stealing a rocket. Hmm. And all of a sudden, monsters everywhere and, and nuclear power plants being sucked into the ground. And for anybody who's actually, you know, read it, this is Fantastic Four number one happening in front of him. Nice. But he's, he's at home seeing this on TV, watching the, watching the military and hearing the bulletins and not knowing what's going on. And we don't see what happens. We just see, you know, all of a sudden it's over and a helicopter lands and these four strange people get out for a meeting with the cool. president. And, of course, it's the Fantastic Four. Do you like this? Do you like this method of storytelling where, again, I, it's, it's taken from – it's the same story that we've read probably 20 different times in reprints and retellings, but now we're taking it from the other perspective. This is the perspective of what a real person would see, and I like it. Now, again, since – it's been 15 years since Marvels, so mm -hmm. some of this is kind of well-trodden ground. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to see here, and it's nice to see – You know, we, we go from that moment to – Phil happens to see Thor downtown and talk of a monster running around in the Southwest who's giant and green. And, you know, the strange Spider-Man, the kid's entertainer who used to be a wrestler and who shows up on TV. Mm -hmm. There's a moment where you see Ant-Man and he ends up deciding to, you know, stay with his photography job. But, of course, all of these things are happening and his life, the most dramatic moment in the issue is when he realizes that his 10-year-old daughter needs glasses. Mm. And it's, I mean, it's a meaningful moment. And you take right. it from the perspective of, in this man's life and in this child's life, this is a very important moment. Because she just realized she has to wear glasses like daddy. She has to deal with it. He's now got to come up with the money to pay for the glasses, as well as everything else that he's paying for now. 
And I mean, the moment really works, even in the midst of all of this stuff where we basically know what happened in Fantastic Four number mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. We have a rough idea of the chronology of the Marvel Universe. This is all taking place simultaneously. You hear about some kid who froze his oppressor with ice and a kid who's firing laser beams out of his eyes. You know, all of these things that we know what's actually going on in the Marvel Universe. We know what happened at that time. So I like it because I'm the continuity schmuck. Now, let me ask you this, Matthew. Um, when the first Marvels, what was yes. the time period that it took place? Because wasn't it like once every decade for each issue, or am I mistaken? The first Marvels started in 1939 with the first Human Bill Torch. Sheldon taking pictures of the original Human Torch. Okay. I believe. I, and you're, I think, you're right on that. I think you're right. I think it did jump several, like, ten years at a time, because the second issue... God, what happened in the second issue? Because I know issue? there was a no. shot where he's taking a shot of Giant Man. Right. And then and there's the issue where uh, Angel was on the cover, and he had right. he interacted briefly with the mutants. And then in the last issue, I believe he was there when Gwen Stacy was thrown off the bridge. Yeah. Or was on route, so it would be around the 70s. I think you're right. So this tale, then, kind of is wedged into that Marvel's timeline. I believe so, yeah. Okay. I haven't read the original series in so many years. I know, it's been forever. That's that's one we should pull out and review in a future episode. Write that down. Okay, written. Uh, The other question I had is, how does this, then, compare to uh, Frontline, that series that features the reporters... Mm-hmm. Taking on Planet Hulk and Secret Invasion and those kinds of things, again, seen from uh, the civilian perspective. I feel like this is done a little more skillfully in terms of what it represents. Because even, you know, even in comic terms, Fantastic Four number one is a pretty big event. And it takes a look at events that, even if you don't know the Marvel Universe, you recognize, hey, this is the Fantastic Four. You recognize... The thing. You recognize Ant-Man. It's kind of Marvel's curse and Marvel's strength in that they will never have a character as strong as those core 15 or 20 characters from the early 60s. Ah, okay. So the, most bo- argu- you know, the most argument you could make is maybe for Luke Cage, but it works for me because it's taking a look at things that we've already seen. Unfortunately, it doesn't work for me where it doesn't work for the exact same reason. Really? Does that make sense? Yeah. That, that does it's, make sense. It's it's a book that when it's on, like the moments with Phil, you know, looking at a new job and Phil looking at his family, and at one point he ends up at the at the launch site where the Fantastic Four launched. It works for me because it's something that we're vaguely familiar with, and it's a new take on what we're familiar with. It kind of falls apart at the end for me because it goes to I've seen this before in a bad way. Yeah, the last page. Phil goes to his doctor and finds out that he has lung cancer. Oh, joy. And that's our cliffhanger. And that's the point. It's really the first point where it kind of feels not exactly like a sour note, but it feels like something that that really jars against the tone of the rest of the issue. Mm -hmm. Because the original Marvel series, it felt like for a while, Phil's point of view was, look at these wonderful things and look at these things. And how can you not look at those and, and see the positive, upbeat aspects of, you know, a giant man fighting a guy with a G on his chest in mm-hmm. downtown? Mm-hmm. How can you, you know, how can you look at Spider-Man and not see the joy in what he does and the fact that he's trying to help people? This one seems to be more of 
fear, a fear of the unknown, a fear of the monstrous. His daughter at one point wakes up dreaming that the thing is coming to get her mm. because her sister teased her that the thing was going to come and attack her. Mm. So it works for me where it works because it's treading familiar territory in a new way. It doesn't work for me when it gets to familiar territory and it feels like a, a, kind of a soap opera cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm, I'm in for the long haul. Kurt Busiek could probably write a grocery list and I'd be like, huh, that's cool. Ah, oh, tomatoes, but, yes, genius. <laughs> tomatoes. And it's, you've never looked at tomatoes from this angle before, Rodrigo. Never. You've never done it. How did Sheldon lose his eye? Was it from cancer or from something else? Again, I can't even remember it's been now. so long, I'm trying to look it up. I couldn't remember if it was because he was around one of the fights. One of our listeners will re remind us. If he was around during one of the fights or if, he, if you had mentioned cancer, and that's what kind of struck me. As, and they'll call it stupid for not remembering. Yeah. Oh, well. We'll, we'll review How this in a couple of weeks. remember that pivotal moment? Ma uh, hey, Rodrigo, you've read there, Marvels, right? Yeah. Okay. We'll review this in a couple of weeks. Uh, Matthew, bottom line for, for this issue? It's a good solid three and a half stars. Uh, Meatloafs. It's a good issue. The art is just phenomenal. Jay Anacleto... And I don't know how quickly he can draw, because I haven't seen him draw anything in like four years. But he draws just spectacularly realistic. And he doesn't have as much of a problem with stunt casting as other realistic artists who shall remain nameless, but rhyme with Malik's floss, <laughs> occasionally have. Where, you know, Reed Richards has to be played by Russell Johnson. I, I thought you were going to say Meven Liker or something like that. <laughs> and Anthony Stark has to be played by uh, Timothy Dalton. Yeah, there's a point where, you know, yeah, I like that kind of thing and it's clever. But when it keeps getting rammed down my throat, it just reminds me that my part of the story involves suspension of disbelief. I want to bring something to it. I don't want everything spoon fed to me and say, and this part is Timothy Dalton. If Timothy Dalton to me is an Iron Man. To me, Timothy Dalton is always the villain in the Rocketeer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I can't I mean, I can't. Well, it's not that I can't. I'm not gonna um, <laughs> look at Timothy Dalton as Iron Man and say anything other. Didn't you fight the Rocketeer? Get, I think I think uh, the commission oh, really? tried to beat you up. On a related uh, note, uh, Betty Page did die this past week too. Sorry. Uh, oh, what were you gonna no, say, Rodrigo? I was gonna say that Matthew wasn't gonna do that because I remember um, watching uh, Gods and Monsters with my girlfriend at the time. Anytime Ian McKellen came on, and he came on a lot, I would yell out, Run! It's Magneto! <laughs> she was really mad. And this is why you're single. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, boy. Thank you, Matthew, for that uh, review. This was out last week from Marvel. I believe it was out last week from Marvel. Uh, it's like twelve ninety nine for the first issue, I think. <laughs> I don't know. The prices have gone up while I wasn't looking. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, uh, Matthew. Rodrigo, what have you got in store for us this week? Something from Image Comics, or Top Cow Entertainment, I think. Correct. I read Witchblade 122, I think. Oh, yeah. 122. number on it. Yeah. Um, I, it, was, it was good. There's, um, I've been curious to see what's going on with Witchblade, because I kind of started reading Witchblade, by which I mean I was you know, a kid, and I went to the comic book store and saw the one with the boobies on it and flipped through it. Yeah. And kind of, you know, learned a little bit about the character there. Then I basically stopped buying comics. Like, I started buying X-Men, and it was kind of a choice. Do I want boobies or do I want actual, you know, some kind of substance? And, of course, if you talk to Matthew, 
X Men in the nineties probably didn't have substance, but we'll uh, we'll, we'll have to <laughs> fight about that some other time. So you um, went with a book that had more boobies, yes, uh, with boogers yes, all by, over them per number, yes. Um, but you know, I, I've always been curious, and you know, I kind of, I've, I've always kind of liked the the idea behind Witchblade, except for the fact that her par- powers are very ill defined, and that's something that has always kind of annoyed me, but. Um, so I decided, hey, you know, I haven't really checked out this book in a long time. I've seen some previews that actually looks pretty good. And you know what? I, I think it's actually pretty good right now. Um, it comes on the heels of basically them splitting the Witchblade between two women. Right. Um, and, you know, so Sarah Pizzini still has it. And then this other young blonde chick has it has it too. And it looks different on both of them. It's cool. Um it, it's kind of like when I uh, was reading Ghost Rider, like, the, the story is good now, but it comes at the end of something that I don't like. Like, the last reboot of Ghost Rider I didn't like. Mm-hmm. This two witch placing I don't like. But, um, you know, in, the, in this particular story, um, Sarah Pazzini is running around investigating some murders. She's got this um, nosy photographer following her around, trying to figure out what the deal is with her. Um, they run into this... Uh, group of Jewish kids who are trying to put together a golem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the dialogue is interesting. You know, there's actual, like, race relation stuff going on, which I was actually very surprised at. Like, nobody's really talking about race in comic books nowadays. Yeah. You know, for, for better or for worse. Um, the art is real good, um, as long as you're kind of into that thing. There are no hard lines anywhere on it. It all, like, all the lines are, like, basically, it, it looks like it's been done in watercolors. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Does it, that's the kind of look you end up with, huh? Yeah, um, which is, at first, can be kind of annoying, actually. It's, it's kind of hard, hard to find the definition in certain things, but it's nice. And, you know, the, the book is full of pretty ladies, <laughs> and pretty ladies look good with those soft lines. The guys, yeah. you know, uh, who cares about the guys anyway? Um <laughs> but I think it actually, I think it actually works for the book. Now, as far as design, the Witchblade, you know, it doesn't just cover up her nipples and her. Uh, well, you know, um, she's not wearing her, a booger thong. Right, ball, right, exactly. What were you looking for? When she when she Witchblades up, she actually looks like she's wearing a full suit of armor, which I like um, because then I don't feel as dirty picking up the book. <laughs> um, and you know, all around. I mean, the the last page is basically you fit. You find out what the big monster is that's been going around killing people, and it looks really cool. It's really interesting. Um, it's really scary, and you th- maybe that nosy photographer is gonna get her head chopped off. Which either way, if she gets saved or she doesn't, would make for interesting uh, comics. Cool. Oh, and as far as you know, there's probably people listening now who maybe left Witchblade and are thinking of getting back, and they're like. Well, you know, I still want my cheesecake. Lesbian kiss. Ooh. I'm just going to throw that Hello. out. And you know what? <laughs> Did someone say my name? I think 122 is the issue that I dropped. Nice. I think that's the first issue that I said, I'm not reading this anymore. Now I'm going to have to go back and look. This is the one that has the, uh, what's on the cover? Uh, is it the Hasidic Jews on the cover? Yeah, I think so. All right. That is one that I did not get. Hasidic Jews. Yeah, you know, the ones with uh, the hats and the beards and the curly things girls, on the yeah. side. Yeah. I was just thinking of the character, the acidic Jew from uh, Common Ground. Holy Crawlers. <laughs> yeah, he was awesome. <laughs> Anything else you want to add, Rodrigo? 
Um, Are you looking see. forward to the next issue? Uh, let's see. Witchblade armor, pastels, lesbian kids. No, I'm good. Okay. Um, yeah, I, Wait, I, I do. I, lesbian I wanna, what I, now? <laughs> I this is relevant to my interests. <laughs> I would, yeah. Matthew just tuned right back in. Um, you see, Witchblade, wah, 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 lesbian? <laughs> yep. So, I, I definitely have a... Either Witchblade slice me off three slices of meat, meatloaf for this, but hopefully not slice off anything else. <laughs> yeah, but I, I thought that was a euphemism. Yeah. All right. Hey, Stephen. Yes, Matthew. Phil Sheldon lost the use of his eye by being hit in the face with a chunk of masonite during the giant battle between the Submariner and the Human Torch. Okay, thank you. I, I, I knew it was either from a battle or from cancer, so thank you very much for filling us in. I'm happy to be of service. <laughs> hey, what do you got to review this week, man? Y- you know what? Uh, I forget. Was it a week ago? A couple of weeks ago, I reviewed Batman Confidential number 23, and I just railed on about how crappy the issue was. Was that the found a peanut, found a peanut, found a peanut, killed the guy issue? Yes. Yeah, that was like three weeks ago. <laughs> well, guess what I subjected myself to this week? I'm not. I'm going to vote a peanut allergy. <laughs> Batman Confidential 24. And let me tell you, it's got appeal. This will all make sense in a few pages. So the Joker is still on trial. This is the supposed first encounter that Batman ever has with the Joker. Uh, The Joker is on trial, and they have a psychiatrist there who is trying to to tell people uh, that uh, the Joker is really psychopathic schizophrenic i mean he's everything he exhibits all 20 traits that you would find in somebody that is totally insane worse than hannibal lecter uh the 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 prosecuting attorney says you make him sound like hannibal lecter doctor and she says hannibal lecter is a fictional character this joker is very much real so as she is getting ready to uh as she's finishing up her her uh, deposition we see the Joker squirming around, and we start to see something come out of the bottom of his pant leg. Uh-oh. And he's squirming and wiggling around. And as she's walking away past him, he gives her a little wink, flicks out his leg, and a banana peel comes out. And she slips on it, cracks her head on, the, uh, on a nearby desk, and is dead. Wow. See what I mean by it having a peel? Ha 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 ha. Meanwhile... A new character is introduced into the Batman Confidential Universe, someone we haven't met before in the Batman Confidential Universe, Uh, (laughs) someone who blew up a Wayne Enterprises, uh, uh, what is this, a a storage facility. One matches, matches Malone. Yeah. Matches Malone somehow gets thrown into the same prison cell, into the same prison area, not the same cell, but the cell right next to the Joker. And proceeds to, uh, you know, try to ridicule him, try to make him come out with what's what's the real deal with this. And the Joker plays along and uh, makes some really bad comments and cracks. But then the Joker just says, hey, what? You really thought that this uh, phony disguise, this fake accent uh, was going to fool me? I know who you are. You're Batman. Come on, give me a break. I find this most interesting, and of course it is Batman, he's pulling off his, his uh, he turns his back to the Joker and is pulling off his his uh, fake makeup and putting on his Batman outfit right there in the jail cell next to the Joker. Well, that's wise. Well, yes and no. 
There was some question, and I don't know if it's you and I, Matthew, that had this discussion back when we were discussing the Batman uh, episode a few episodes ago. But everybody seems to know who the joke, uh, who the Batman is, and some people have speculated that the Joker has known all along that Bruce Wayne is Batman. But as uh, the Joker points out in this issue, he's going to keep doing what he's doing until. Um, Let's see. He says, I'm going to keep doing this until either you and I kill each other or someone else takes me down. And to me, that kind of makes me think that the Joker all along has known who Batman really is. And is just playing along because he has fun being that crazy. Does that make sense? Yeah, up to a point. That makes some sense. I mean, it's it's kind of a far stretch based, and this is not my theory, but this is other people's theory. But this issue kind of brings that a little bit more front and center. Uh, meanwhile, the Joker, when he was first apprehended, called up uh, the re- the arresting officer's wife and and talked her into committing suicide. Uh, and of course, he is pretty distraught about all this. At one point in the in the uh, courtroom, he almost grabs another officer's gun to gun him down. And he's become quite the alcoholic. So Jim Gordon uh, goes home to his house and says, hey, look, man, you either need to give me the gun and the badge or come with me to an AA meeting to get your life straightened out. And uh, the cop says, uh, you can have my shield, but I'm going to need the gun a little bit longer. And Jim Gordon looks around. And I don't know if this is Harvey Dent or who it is, but he's shot somebody already in his, uh, it might even be his old partner. He's already shot somebody in his apartment. And as Jim Gordon turns around, he shoots Jim Gordon point blank in the chest. And thus endeth the issue. Hmm. Now, last time I gave this an utter crap review. I actually kind of like this issue a little bit more. Hmm. It just it wasn't as reliant on the Joker antics. Yes, that's it. And the Joker won antic with the banana okay, we've seen him be crazy. And and there's even a point where the mayor uh, is talking with the district attorney, Harvey Dent, saying, hey, look, uh, you guys didn't arrest him to begin with. And since he's been in jail, he's already killed three people while he's still in jail. You know, kind of, I don't know, makes Joker a little bit more intense as a character from this issue. Uh, This issue is still not a great issue, but I liked it a lot more than the previous one. I'm giving Batman Confidential issue number 24, uh, two stars. Better than the previous one. Still not, you know, these are still not origin stories. Come on, people. I mean, this is not, I, 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 don't, I don't know what DC is thinking with this stuff, um, especially following our discussion last week about continuity. It just seems like everything's being forced a little bit too hard in, these, in, these, in, this, ish, in this series. I'm probably going to finish up Batman Confidential, this storyline, and then that's going to be dropped from my list. Mm. Unfortunately. See, it, it, it seems like they're trying really hard to make everything meaningful, and every single moment has to have echoes of what will happen in the future. I mean, it, it, it's the problem right. I have with Marvel right now. Once they're done with X-Men, what is it, X-Men Original Sin and Wolverine Origins, every single issue of every X-Men comic published is going to have some sinister secret behind it. Yes. Even mm-hmm. even the one where Kitty was dreaming of the pirate fantasy, it turns out that that was all put in her head by the evil white queen to make everybody think she was crazy so that she could grow up and teleport a bullet. I don't know. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't mind having a Joker story that is a 
psychological thriller in the vein of what's in the box, you know? But I don't think they need to force it as an origin story for something. And I don't think it belongs in a Batman Confidential title. In fact, Batman Confidential, as I've said time and time again, is a title that should never have been created. Instead, they should they have just left it with Legends, Legends of the, the Dark Knight. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <Matt> Damon. <laughs> <laughs> Say it with me, everybody. They never should have canceled Legends of the Dark Knight. Matt Damon. <laughs> Steven Schleicher. Uh, two stars. Two stars out of five. Two slices of meatloaf. But look for and glass in that meatloaf because the Joker indeed. might be involved. It's probably full of peanuts and banana peels. Yep. Speaking of things that are full of, full of various kinds of garbage, you know what happens when we're done with the reviews, right? Matthew's Giggle Fest. Hey, we're going to get through it within, <laughs> within less than six minutes, I promise, this week. It's time for... I'm calm. I'm good. The major spoilers poll of the week. <laughs> poll. <laughs> week. Major spoilers. On 96. Bam FM. <clears throat> the future of, of rock and roll. Love. What up? <laughs> All right, Matthew. What are, we... are you the baby? That's what I want. <laughs> Okay. This time around, um, the being basically the kind of people who, when our alien overlords come, we're probably going to just roll over and say, thank you, can I have some more Pop-Tarts? Uh, we at uh, Major Spoilers have been kind of looking at a situation, not so much of the, the who'd win variety, but who would you want to win? Um, in, in recent days, of course, we've talked a lot about secret invasion and an alien infiltration of the Earth. And uh, Stephen had been coming up with this theory, and we want to know what you, the faithful spoilerites, think. Which Earth invaders are more preferable? Now, whether that would be more likely to win, whether they'd be easy to live under, that's up to you. But, of course, from the DC side of the fence, we have the alien dominators who have managed to take over the world not once, not twice, but three times. All three in issues involving Tom Welling, which is tough in and of itself. <laughs> or on the Marvel side of the universe, uh, the Skrulls, who are basically guys with strange facial hair who blow up bug women. Now, I, Go ahead. I, I, I don't want to give away my vote with my introduction there. But which alien overlords do you feel would be you know, most... I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, Stephen. Most good like. Well, if you're if you're if you're taking it from that perspective, I, mm -hmm. I think I phrased the original question: Who would really be able to dominate the Earth? Um, okay. I if you take it from your question of who would you rather live under, I think I'd rather live under the Scrolls because all they want is a space, you know, a, a way station uh, on mm -hmm. their battle forward. You know, they're talking about embrace change and look at all these great things that we can do. The Dominators, on the other hand, want to wipe out everybody who's got the metagene, and they want to somehow exploit the metagene for themselves. Now, if the question is, who would really dominate the Earth, who would actually succeed in taking over the planet, I'm, I'm Dominators all the way. Those guys are mm. some scary mofos, and I would, I would hate to be living under their regime. Mm. The Dominators, and this goes back to my love of the Volume 4, Five Year Later Legion, mm -hmm. the, the Dominators took over the world in that storyline, 
and made sure that there were sufficient bread and circuses for everybody. Ah. And Sunboy, who kind of rolled over and became their little propaganda pet, had a beautiful life with lots of money, lots of women, everything he could ever want for. The people that they were using to cement their power, the people that they were manipulating, pretty much had a good life. And the general rank and file of Earth didn't even know what had happened. They had no idea that the Dominators were in power. So a certain strata of people were better off. Mm-hmm. Most of the people were the same. The only people who really suffered were the superheroes. Yeah. And, you know, since I'm, I'm not really a superhero, if I had to pick one of the two, I'd go with the Dominators simply because the Dominators seem like the secret type to where we'll still have, you know, the trains will run on time and we'll still have plenty of <laughs> jello pudding to where it doesn't matter who's in charge of the shadow government because, you know, they, they the odds are. of them coming to kill somebody as insignificant as me are pretty low. Whereas with the Skrulls, I, I've, I've never gotten a real idea that the Skrulls were in it for anything other than let's kill Hank Pym and everybody that looks like him. Yeah. I, you know, I, I agree. The Dominators certainly are the, my, my, my selection this week on the list. Rodrigo, what about you? Um, well, I like the scrolls because they can change shape and they're green and they've given us uh, the possibly the greatest character in Marvel Comics after Beta Ray Bill, Super <laughs> Scroll, <laughs> who is as ridiculous as he is awesome. Um, as far as uh, you know, who I'd like to live under, I you know, obviously neither one. It seems to me that the scrolls would be naturally good at infiltrating humanity if they just totally ignore the superheroes. I think where they went wrong is when they tried to infiltrate superheroes. Like, they could just replace the president and the superheroes wouldn't care. I mean, when was the last time you saw any superhero interacting with the president? They're all off doing their own thing, you know? Yeah. So Although, I, probably... I, I... Go ahead. Sorry, no, go ahead. I was going to say, scrolls, though, make the best hamburgers. Mm. <laughs> dominators you know, are just scary guys when were the dominators first introduced was it invasion uh, uh, or was it five year later it, legion or what oh it was long before that the dominators first appeared during the adventure comics run of legion i think under jim shooter ah okay so back in the 70s years ago uh, probably 64 65 if my timeline's right wow but uh, they actually and in their first appearance were almost successful in taking over the earth so, I mean, if you can just walk in and go, hi there, uh, you're Tom Welling, great, we're taking over. That's some scary stuff. Well, think about this. We're also talking about pre-crisis Kryptonians, guys who fly through the sun to clean their pants. Yeah, that's true, too. You know. Unfortunately, just... from the first glancing over of the wiki page for the Dominators, does not list what year they first appeared. They do oh, say, sure. uh, da, 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 let's see. It doesn't have a first appearance. It starts off in the 20th century with the five-year-later thing, then it jumps to the 30th century. Thus begins the story of who's yeah. nearly impossible. The impossible chore was to battle and, battle and defeat the Fantastic Four. He's Super, He's super scroll. scroll, Incredible. He's as geeky as Nietzsche, and that's noble. Though to us he seems preposterous, it's really not for us to just pass a rat's judgment on the Scrooper Scroll. Because his left arm can stretch like it's made out of plastic. It's as it's elastic as, as, as Mr. Fantastic. Fantastic. 
His right arm's got orange <laughs> rocks for skin. From the shoulder down, he's as strong as Big Grim. He can turn one leg invisible, invisible, which really isn't all that, that practical. practical. Unless you're extremely <laughs> gullible, <laughs> you won't get fooled by Super, Super Scroll. His other leg is flammable, the same thing as inflammable. He crossed his legs and then he learned his invisible leg could still get burned, though his appearance is comical and raises many questions anatomical. His features aren't as malleable as the features of his fellow scrolls. From his hat down to his shoes, he wears unstable molecules. He's endorsing RC Cola and cruising chicks with our name Zola. He's not even possible, but what the hell, he's, he's super scroll. He can't tie his shoes without an oven mitt, and he has a hard time finding shirts that fit. Painfully implausible, technically impossible, socks he's got a closet full, his favorite band is Jethro Tull. He's not just any ordinary scroll, he's... He's bum 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 Super scroll. There you Ding. go. Woo. That is the Matthew Peterson cover of Ookla the Mox, Super Scroll. Please don't sue us. No, no, it's cover. We're, 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 right. we're, we're protected well, if we're doing a cover. I, I changed the lyrics in one place, and anybody who can tell me where uh, gets nothing. Uh, I, do you know which place you messed up? I have no idea. Okay, then. No prizes. No prize. You get the no prize. Said Scrooper. You get one of Marvel's famous no prizes. And, nay, wait a minute. Those are worth money now. <laughs> Don't give them something that's worth money. Everybody head over to the Majorspoilers.com website and uh, take the Major Spoilers vo- poll and make your voice heard. It's not oh. going to count to anything. Well, maybe it will, but it doesn't really count oh. to anything, but oh, fun. Oh, weak, 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 weak. <sighs> I did not actually expect Matthew to sing the entire song. I didn't yes. either. I- I'm impressed. <laughs> it's a the hard reason song. I is that Molly loves it. It's a fun nice. song. I love it, she, too. She won't let me sing all of it because the H word is in it, and the H word is a bad word. Yeah. Mm. But she'll let me sing up to that last bit. I love the line, he's endorsing RC Cola and cruising chicks with Arnim Zola. Zola. Yeah. <laughs> Arnim Zola and the Super Scroll, man. You can, you can just see him, you know, cruising west side in a, in a lowrider. Yeah. Blinged out. Oh, Arnim Zola with his little friend. chest monitor. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing gang signs. Whatever it is. I'm telling you, man. That's yeah. a great There's no songs about the Dominators, though. There should be. Dominator. Dominator. You, Dominator. You brought her. I, I would imagine it's probably because the Dominators are not nearly as ridiculous as Super Scroll. And like well, I said, not... the Dominators are pretty scary guys. If you've ever looked at a Dominator's mouth, you have to ask yourself how the entire race hasn't starved to death. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these people can't so much as eat an apple without putting an eye out. Milkshakes. <laughs> Milkshake. <laughs> that probably explains why they're so thin. All right, guys. Moving right along to our big discussion of the week. Uh, Hermit. <laughs> Hermit over there. At oh, the, I'm sorry. Uh, did we miss a cue there? No, no, no. I was waiting for Matthew to go, week, 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 week. Discussion. <laughs> <laughs> No, I actually uh, had to burp, and I, didn't, I was trying to save everybody the, the horror. Uh, Hermit, who has been quite active at the Major Spoilers Forum, has been up all on us for probably since May to uh, talk about Order of the Stick, a webcomic that some people hail as the greatest webcomic of all time. I would maybe take issue with that. But this week, we're taking a look at the webcomic The Order of the Stick. 
a webcomic that satirizes tabletop role-playing games and medieval fantasy and an ongoing tale of characters drawn as stick figures. You didn't want to say titular uh, titular fellowship of heroes, did you? No. It's written and illustrated by Rich Burlew. Um, And who wants to begin? I will tell you this. The most amazing achievement that Rich does, and this is evident in the very first strip. Yes. We're dealing with characters who look like Fisher-Price little people. Yes. Basically. But he manages to give them such personality and such expressiveness and such distinctiveness, even from the very first strip to where you're like, these, I mean, these are really entertaining characters from almost the very beginning. I, I, would, I would concur on that because it's just so much like, I don't even know, if you were to ask me now, what were the characters' names, I wouldn't be able to tell you, but I would be able to look at the strip and, and hear each of their voices that he created because each of the characters is very unique that you look at the, the little short, uh, uh, Hobbit character and you're like, aha, okay, we get his character. We look right. at the dwarf, we look at the, the, the paladin, we look at, you know, the wizard and all those. And it's just, it is very well done. The thing that struck me about the very first strip is it dumps you in the middle of an adventure and just assumes, well, it doesn't really assume it's just saying, here are our characters. We're not going to tell you the, their backstory. We don't have to start with, hello, I'm going on to, uh, who wants to join me on a quest? Let's go. It's boom, you're in the middle of a quest. And that quest just so happens to be taking place during the Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 upgrade. Right. And yeah. if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons, this is a standard Dungeons and Dragons. This is what they refer to in some cases as the balanced, and those were air quotes. <laughs> The, the balanced group. You have the fighter, you have the ranger, the cleric, the rogue, the wizard, and God help us, the bard. <laughs> and if you, if you Is it play sad Dungeons that he's my Dragons, favorite character? Yeah. If you play Dungeons & Dragons, or even if you've you know, seen the Lord of the Rings movie, it's pretty easy to jump onto those archetypes. Right. Mm-hmm. What my question is, and probably Rodrigo and Matthew, you too, if, if you know the answer, the characters are really having a tough time adjusting, and the first major story does deal with uh, the changes in the uh, Dungeons & Dragons gameplay over the years, because mm-hmm. they reference the 2.0 stuff. Right. Were there that many big changes in the 3.5 upgrade that caused a lot of people to have issue with, with the game? Absolutely. There were, there, were, there were big changes between 2nd and 3rd edition. I mean, it's bas- it, was, it basically became a completely different game. Mm-hmm. The big right. issue between 3rd... And 3.5 is that actually not that many things were changed, but, uh, you know, people essentially had to go out and buy brand new core books for it and really brand new books in general. And a lot uh, of the things that that uh, well, the term that I that I run into is they nerfed some things from yes. three or third edition to 3.5. Yes. And that's played out, too, with the uh, little uh, what's his name? Gelfling, not the Gelfling. Gelfling. Yeah, he, where his little his uh, dagger gets smaller instead of larger. Everybody else yeah. gets an upgrade, and his all of actually a sudden, yeah, is a I love the moment where the bard's all of a sudden, bang, he's got a chain <laughs> shirt, and somebody says, "I think we're being upgraded to three point five. Yeah, yeah. Rodrigo, thoughts on on this series, uh, or, or you know, just some general overall thoughts before we get into it really deep. Um, I really like it. Uh, as as somebody who's who started playing Dungeons and Dragons before I started reading it. You know, I, I never know how other people are going to react to it. Um, most people seem to like it. Um, I really enjoy it because I get basically all of the jokes 
Um, usually the ones I don't get are just oblique references to other stuff. Like, um, he, there's a series of books out there by R.A. Salvatore about uh, <laughs> the Forgotten Realms. Right. That star, this like badass dark elf that you know is is just super awesome. So drizzed. drizzed. So there was there's there's just like a whole sequence of jokes, like several pages of jokes about that character that aren't necessarily central, but it took me a long time to yeah. figure out what they were talking about until finally somebody was like, oh, okay, well this is what it's about. I Other love- than that, I mean, he finds amazing ways to constantly take the ridiculous aspects of them and lovingly make fun of them. He's not saying, oh, well, this is what sucks about Dungeons & Dragons. He's like, this is funny because it works this way. What if people were aware of how the universe actually worked? What would really be like their opinions and how would they react to it? How would they try to exploit it? Yeah. There's one moment um, where they're walking along and all of a sudden... Through for no real reason other than they're about to have a magical battle, a hex mat appears beneath them on the floor of of the and they start arguing about the hex mat. And one of the one of the members points out, you know, there are six of us and a hex mat actually prefers six sided combat. It makes it easier for the six of us to gang up on one thing. And uh, Roy, the the fighter, is like, So what you're saying is this obscure rule is going to make us better at killing things because we can. And they're like, yes. He's like, I'm in. <laughs> and so they walk down this hex mat and all of a sudden they're attacked. And of course the creature is attacking, leaping across the hex mats and they're all confused. Yeah. They don't I mean, know which it, way they can move. Exactly. And there's a moment uh, earlier on in the strip where somebody is lying on the ground and they're like, well, you provoked three different attacks of opportunity. Which was always, you know, the thing that I hated about third edition was no matter what I did, I provoked an attack of opportunity. Yeah. I could kill 19 people and that one schmuck would have an attack of opportunity and stab me in the butt. Yeah, they, they kind of play off some of those rules a lot. Like the, the first story arc is called Dungeon Crawling Fools and uh, they're trying to go after this uh, sorcerer named Zylon. Uh, but they get to this uh, the, the Chimera or the, the Chimera. And mm-hmm. one of them rolls for initiative, I guess, uh, and she gets to attack twice. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, there's no way that this, this creature is going to let that happen. And, of course, it just stands there, and she shoots it twice before they go, sneak attack! wait a minute, sneak attack, yeah. And then she, she shoots again, sneak attack! Yeah. And the, the, the chimera is like, wow, I was really surprised by that the second time, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the way the rules actually work. There's uh, another moment that's that sticks in my head they're riding along this is dull shouldn't we have a random encounter by now right yeah and somebody runs out into the road and he's like thank god a plot hook or when there are characters that are that have a really high stealth level even though there you see the the viewer sees them in panel standing around everybody right. everyone's like oh it's too bad this is such an empty room can't see anything huh i th- i think i just missed a spot check yeah yeah that that right there is one of the classic lines and it's it's a it's a joke that keeps popping up throughout yeah. the series. Standing in a room surrounded by goblin ninjas about to kill him. Yeah. Did I just miss my spot check? Yeah. I, you know, I, I, to tell you the truth, I enjoyed this series, but because I'm not a Dungeons & Dragons player and don't know all these little rules, if this had been a Warcraft comic I, and had all the Warcraft references, I'm sure I'd be rolling on the floor like a, like a silly fool. 
Uh-huh. Uh, but be- a lot of these references I could catch and I kind of knew what they were talking about. But a lot of times it was over my head and thus the humor was lost on me. And so I didn't find the I don't find the series as enjoyable as as other people do. And I know that's an unpopular view. I mean, uh, a couple of years ago when I did my uh, top 40 or top 52 uh web comics that people should be reading and I didn't list order of the stick in that people jumped all over me because it wasn't wasn't on the list. And you know, to each his own, I guess. I, I, I enjoy it. I think it's funny. I love the the little art which, you know, Rich has been accused of of being, you know, I guess sloppy or going the cheap route or whatever. Um but I but I adore it. I, I think it's I think it's fun. Well, yeah. the important thing to to remember about the art is that the stick figures are a deliberate choice. This guy's a gra- this guy took you know design in school. He's actually he writes for Wizards of the Coast. He's uh, had material actually published in legitimate Dungeons and Dragons books. Right. This guy knows what he's doing. He chooses to do it this way, and then along with Dungeons and Dragons and pop culture and all this other stuff, uses the fact that they're stick figures and the way that they're made. As part of the jokes, there's this one scene where Roy is getting out of bed one morning and he looks down at his shoes and he looks at it as like, I forget which shoe the little boot and the big boot go on. <laughs> because, you know, he's always foreshortened. Right, right. Regardless right. of which way he's, you know, moving. Right. Yeah, I I just I think it's a unique way of approaching comics. And I know there's a lot of people out there that, that don't care for it, but that's one thing that I do like in, in this in this series. The other thing that I like too, and it was a really apparent as I was reading the first the first story arc, is that he has to have these plotted out through the whole arc. Mm-hmm. Because there's a scene where, you know, they freeze the this um uh ethereal not the ethereal fairy, but you know, the air fairy, and she turns to stone and she begins to fall. But it's not until like almost twenty pages yeah. later that she comes crashing through kind of saving the day for everybody. Yeah. And there's no way that you just stumble into that happy accident. Oh yeah. I think, I think he, there's, cause I think he actually plans it out like an actual book, like an actual graphic novel. Um, but it's, it's important to point out one thing about this book, about this com this web comic that is really important to me. Um, there are a lot of web comics out there that are funny and that are moving their story along, but actually surprisingly few of them that have a punchline every strip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This book manages to move the story along and crack a joke at least once per strip, if not twice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or more. Um, the structure of the narrative is really deep and the characters i mean yeah the characters are you're kind of your archetypical you know your untrustworthy thief and your rogue who you know wants nothing but money but the characters have a depth to them where you actually start to care at one point um i'm not sure if she's a rogue or what Haley, the hot girl yeah, she's a rogue. <laughs> she's Where a she's stick been, figure. For months and months and months, for episodes and episodes, we hear about how Haley wants nothing but money. And then when she's left all alone, she pulls a crumpled letter out of her pocket that says that her father is being held captive by the king. Mm-hmm. And she can only free him by paying 20,000 20, or 200,000 gold pieces ransom. And she starts counting her money. 
And you're like, oh my God, that's heartbreaking. And then somebody busts in and makes the joke that she's about nothing but the gold. And yeah. she's like, yeah, you, you caught me. Well, and you're right. I, I agree with you. I, I like that aspect too, because while it's not trying to be a ha-ha, I mean, it is trying to be a funny ha-ha story. There is a, also a lot of story going on in, in the uh, in, in the webcomic. I've read some other webcomics that are Dungeons and Dragons based, and it seems like they never go anywhere. It's like we're always just sitting here spinning our wheels, just cracking jokes. But this one actually has some character development throughout the entire 620 issues or whatever that we're up to, 616. Yeah. Well, and- not going anywhere spinning your wheels is the definition of most mediocre Dungeons and Dragons round. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I mean, it, I've had some really great, really talented storytellers, but usually it falls under one of two categories. It's either somebody who's about episode, 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 click, episode, episode, or you get somebody like, um, I, I'm sure you remember Tom Boaz. Yep. Rodrigo, Rodrigo you, you wouldn't Tom, know him, right? but. <laughs> Tom was one of the greatest for drawing you into a story. But it was Tom's story, and if you didn't want your character to do what Tom's story wanted your character to do, mm. your character would still do that. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was awesome, and it was really deep, and it was really, you know, it was one of those nice moments where he would take the, the, the players who gave him the most trouble, who had the most trouble checking into the game, and he would give them something specifically that that player cared about. Something like Haley's moment with the 200,000. He would give you that deep moment for that character. And, you know, sometimes you just kind of go, hey, that's really great for that character. Look over here. Can I kill something? <laughs> but, I mean, the the overall story, the depth of all the characters is just really amazing to me. The fact that even the lame-ass, uh, the lame-ass character who's there basically for comic relief, the bard, Elon, has this, <laughs> this backstory with tragedy and you know a broken love story and an evil twin that, yes, it's lame and it's an evil twin plot, but it's an evil twin plot done kind of in a clever manner. Yeah. Yeah. Where when his mom and his dad broke up, they each kept one of the children, and his evil twin brother was raised by the father in this martial environment to become a warrior. What was it? Like a 35th level paladin assassin with mage abilities and fire breath. Yeah. And Elon was raised by his mom in a loving home and became a bard. (laughs) You know, it just, it's, 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 there's, I mean, there's sociological discussion going on in the background where you look at it. And you're actually, you know, you're looking at at things, and maybe it's, it's just me, but things like, is nature more important than nurture? And then you're like, all right, we get to the end, and the punchline is, I'm not listening, I'm intentionally failing my listen check, <laughs> la la la. Yeah. I want to bring in some of the comments from uh, some of our regular listeners and readers, and even some new people commented up on the Majorspoilers.com website when I mentioned Order of the Stick. Campaigner, who I believe is a brand new person to the Major Spoiler site, or at least uh, first, uh, first long-time reader, first-time poster, Order of the Stick is my favorite webcomic. It has everything I'm looking for in one. It's updated regularly, but not so often that you're overwhelmed by it. It has an interesting characters, ongoing story arcs, and character development. It's funny and smart. It's sometimes even quite deep, and although the artwork is stick figures, Berlou clearly knows how to use his art to the fullest extent. Composition of pages, lighting at times, size of the shot. He even did some historic flashbacks in a different art style. That would be crayon. Uh, Campaigner <laughs> goes on to say, I don't play D&D. I play other RPGs, though, and it's still funny to me. Sadly, I don't own the trade paperbacks yet, since I don't live in the U.S. and can't get one at a reasonable price. 
Um, Rodrigo, how do you own the collection, or do you own the collection? I don't. I I you just check read it on it, the web. I check it religiously at least once a week, but mm-hmm. um, I actually don't. And I've been I've bought merchandise from the site because you know for all for all you guys out there, um, you want to support, you want your web comics to keep going. Buy stuff from their sites. Yeah, that's, that's a, hint for, a hint hint of things to come, maybe. <laughs> what do you what do you have? What do you have? Um I have a shirt that says your D twelve cries itself to sleep at night. <laughs> um, I bought um I I have a shirt that says I prepared I prepared explosive runes this morning, really small. And um <laughs> I have a. I bought my sister a ca- a clock, a wall clock of the uh, twelve gods, where essentially, basically, the Chinese oh, yeah. zodiac done yeah. in little stick figure guys. Oh, that's awesome! So, that's yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff, um, and he seems uh, it's, it's probably stuff that people specifically comment on, but he seems to be very good about uh, isolating particular punchlines that are really good and putting them on, you know, on t-shirts and stuff like that. Julian, our good friend Julian, writes, Order of the Stick is one of the three stick webcomics that can still be considered funny and one of the very select webcomics that can take on such an epic storyline. And yes, these are epic storylines. The overarching story is an easy wow, and what Berlude lacks in heavy, detailed art, he more than makes up for with great dialogue and hilarious characters that are easy to get attached to. Sorry, my eyes are failing. If I had one complaint about the art, uh, this is a, this tends to be my complaint with most web comics in general. Uh, number one, I have my resolution of my my computer set to a certain size because of the other applications that I have to use for my mm-hmm. daily work. But this means that the words and the word balloons are very, very tiny. So at times, I was really straining, especially when things are not, you know, when they're the the little side comments that are not in word balloons, found it incredibly hard uh, to read those at times. And of course, I'm getting old. You kids get off my lawn. (laughs) Um, The other problem that I have is even at this high resolution, I like to blow through web comics just by going click, 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 you know, next, 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 read it next and read it next, read it next. But this one I have to do a lot of scrolling up and down on. And for this comic, this format works. So he's essentially looking at between nine and, and 15 panels per episode or per installment, mm-hmm. which works, I think. Uh, but I have to do a lot of scrolling up and down, which I don't like. And maybe that's just me. There are certainly some other web comics out there that make use of the medium of the web to draw you into the story. There's another great web comic that I'd like to review in the future called Wapsie Square. And there are some very dramatic points in the story where Paul Taylor, so as to prevent the reveal from happening in the very first initial load of the page, you have to scroll to the right to get the big reveal. Mm-hmm. And I guess the scrolling issue detracts from this web comic for me. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I think uh, since he is kind of making it um, as as a page, mm-hmm. it does kind of cause problems since, you know, books tend to be uh, wider than they are tall. And right. nowadays, screens are not. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, a horizontal versus vertical medium issue. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so none of you guys have the books. Matthew, have you ever gotten any of the books in the store? I have not, actually. I, I might actually 
probably prefer to read this in a collected edition, which does two things. It gives more money to to uh, the creator, uh, but it also allows me to read it at a little bit more flexible way that I can just easily jump to a page or flip it open or carry it with me wherever I go. Again, Hermit, uh, the person who's nuts about Order of the Stick, I think he has all six volumes. I think there's six volumes purchased now. His first one he got signed because he was one of the first 100 people to order it when it came out. So that's pretty cool, cool I guess. Yeah. You know one of the things that actually really sticks with me throughout oh, this? Matthew Spidelag. Oh, stick Matthew Spidelag. <laughs> What's one of the things that sticks with you? They always refer to Haley as the hot chick. Right. She's a stick figure with a perfectly round head, and he pulls it off and makes her the hot chick. Especially yeah. when she uh, when her braid falls out of her hair and it all falls down and they're like when, yeah she's she's checking a around. door for traps and she climbs up the wall and she's upside down and her hair falls out and all of the men in the party are just like wow can she check for more traps <laughs> Take and I'm time. looking at that and I'm like it's a stick figure with a perfectly round head and yet she manages to be the hot chick yeah. I love that. And I mean, even if it's something as simple as the fact that, you know, the little halfling has his little triangular halfling feet, you know, every one of the characters has specifics of their design that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And the, my favorite running gag is still, I, I learned explosive runes this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Through, just at, at various points throughout, the wizard will hand somebody a note. And they'll be like, what does this mean? I learned explosive runes this <laughs> it's just a beautiful running gag. It's cool. It looks to be there are one, two, three, four, five, five books out right now. One, two, three, four. Let's see, am I counting that right? One, two, three, four. Yeah, five. and at least yeah. at least There's two five of those of are not um, are not on the site. You actually have to get the books. As far as what do you mean the the stories aren't oh, on the site? Yeah, the stories the 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 strips themselves are not in on the site. Oh, There's okay. A, Two of the books, the one that there's a there's a origin of the PCs and an origin of the bad guys book, and oh, okay. neither one of those is. Uh, I mean, it's available for sale at the site, mm-hmm. but um, the strips themselves are not on the site. Cool. Let's see what is the what is the price. I'm trying to call up the store really quick as we talk. It's thirty two bucks for about a hundred and twelve pages of story. That's probably about right for an independent publisher. Mm-hmm. Other thoughts, gentlemen, on Order of the Stick? What else would you like to cover? How well did they handle the the transition to uh, version 4.0? They didn't. And he he actually had a a thing on his site that said, I've been getting a lot of questions about this, and I am not going to have the characters make the transition until I feel that it's right or if I feel that it's right. Mm, Okay. Because, I mean, 4th edition, like the change from 2nd to 3rd edition, is pretty huge. It's drastic. It's basically a brand new, completely different game. Oh, so he would so, have to totally reboot his universe to yeah, do that. As deep as he is in the story, it would make no sense whatsoever for him to uh, to change up into fourth edition at this point. <laughs> Matthew, other other thoughts? Are I you also? Well, go ahead. Sorry. The, no, it's okay. The punchlines and the use of language are really, really well done. I love the fact that the characters have their own voices. Um, I really like some of the the subtle running gags, like the gender of the wizard. Mm -hmm. 
about every hundred issues, they touch on the fact that they don't know if the wizard is male or female. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, she, it will say something about, you know, being married or say something about being in love. And the whole party will just go, what? It, it's just, I mean, all of the characters have, you know, and I haven't even gotten to the point where I've read everything on the website. But all the characters have had their, their little hell yeah moment where they're the center of attention. Mm-hmm. And with a cast of six regular characters and then, you know, half a dozen recurring villain types and characters popping in and out. And Roy's dad. <laughs> Roy's dad shows up at one point from the afterlife and he's he's giving him his quest. And he's, oh, Roy, you had a who's that girl, dad? This, this, <laughs> yeah. is, this is Marie. We're going to go what, see a movie What later. are you cheating on, mom? Hey, I said till death to us part, son. <laughs> In the afterlife, all bets are off. You know, after I read that, after I read that strip, I began to think, what happens if someone... In our world, if someone had a heart attack and were technically dead, would they, and then were brought back, would they have free reign to pretty much do whatever? See ya, honey, you know, it said, tell death to us part. I was technically (laughs) dead, therefore. You cannot date the blonde girl in the front of your film to comics class. You cannot do it. it. (laughs) Even if we kill you for half an hour. Dang it. That that would be about tops for a harebrained scheme. Just <laughs> like, to, think just about that. It would be like flatliners for married guys. You, <laughs> oh, go, you, you buy, a red, buy a red sports car. You give us two grand. We kill you for half an hour. You come back. Wouldn't even have to be single. half an hour. Five minutes. Right. Hey. We, we cannot release this podcast yet. We have to write a treatment for this movie. Copyright oh, Steven Schleicher, 2008. It's, it's man it's it's better than las vegas i mean all we <laughs> we inject you with sodium cyanide and we bring you back it'd be beautiful we You're really the... bored we can kill you by ottawa's erotic asphyxiation see <laughs> bing bang boom you're done you're divorced hey hey set him up and knock him down yes then you can, ma- then you can marry the hooker <laughs> yes 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 yeah, I would say uh, go ahead if, if you're interested, even mildly interested, pick up the first trade because, like I said, it does – and I do this with a lot of web comics is I will go out and buy the print collection because sometimes it offers some more things, some additional content that you don't find on the website. Plus, it puts more money back into the creator's pocket. So I would say kind of maybe go that route. Uh, let's wrap up with uh, – some final thoughts and yes or no recommendations or star ratings or however you want to do it, Rodrigo. Um, I would say yes. Hell yes. Um, go to giantitp.com. That's giant in the playground games. It's a Rich Berlu site. And check out Order of the Stick. It's a great comic. It's one of my favorite, not just web comics, it's one of my favorite comics out there. I would say I recommend it. It is fun read. There is a lot to read. So if you're someone who hasn't started reading it like I did until about a month ago, there's a lot of stuff to work through. 616 pages worth of stuff on the webcomic. Uh, and it is it is pretty deep. It's, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot to take in. Uh, but it's still highly recommended. Thumbs up, five stars, whatever. Nice. Mr. Matthew. Hang on. Let me roll for my uh, score. Okay. <laughs> One D six plus two stars from me. Nice. This, I mean, this is really well done, and it, it serves not just as a a good narrative, a good story, and a really interesting case of design work, yeah. graphic design work specifically. It works as an in joke for the gaming fans, but I think it also works if you don't understand, you know, the joke about, you know, oh, I think we've been upgraded to three point five. You don't have to have that kind of 
I mean, it adds to it, but you don't have to have knowledge of that kind of minutia to enjoy the book. Mm-hmm. And the characters actually become the point rather than the jokes about Dungeons and Dragons. Even if you've never played Dungeons and Dragons, I think you could pretty easily get into this strip, its humor, and the voices of the characters. Yeah. Yep. So uh, I was going to roll my 12 cider, but uh, unfortunately it flamed out on me and it's no longer lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I had a problem, so I had to bring my left sided rollers today. If you have an iPod or an iPod Touch, you can download the Dice Bag app from that store, and it's got every dice in there, and you can roll combos or you can roll single dice. It's quite fun. And on that note... Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> Poll of the Week! week, week. <laughs> oh, not again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Don't forget, tell your friends about the show. Be sure to visit our website at Majorspoilers.com. We appreciate and enjoy all of the visitors over there. Uh, we also have a MySpace page. You can friend us over at MySpace at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. You can find us at Twitter under Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers. Uh, we appreciate all the ratings that people have been leaving over at iTunes. Feel free to leave some more. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas, if you would like to pressure us into reading a graphic novel or talking about a subject on the show, all you have to do is drop us an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Rodrigo, are you around next week? Um, I don't think so. Okay. I'm going to be at home. It's going to be a Matthew and Stephen show as we discuss something fantastical and extraordinary uh, next week. And then we have a couple of special Christmas episodes to throw out for you guys. One of them, Rod- or three of them at least, that Rodrigo and I recorded a couple of weeks ago. Should be a lot of fun there. Then we're coming back. Uh, with our best and worst of 2008. Look forward to that. And for any other show notes, discussions, whatever, check out the Major Spoilers Forum or check out the Majorspoilers.com website, like I mentioned, because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we'll see you next time. Belkar rules. Find the X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save some bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the rack. And although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he'd make me wait out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little me would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would you bag and board your comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler, yeah, 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 yeah. What a major spoiler.